This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 270. In today's episode, I want to talk about copyright and fair use as it pertains to photography. Now, let me start by saying I am not an attorney, nor do I play one on TV. But this is a topic that should be important to every photographer, pro or otherwise. The information for today's episode comes from several stories from Petapixel, and I wanted to share them with my audience as I have been following these stories for some time, and they are extremely important to photographers. First of all, what is a copyright when it comes to photography? Well, from the website WordNick and based on definitions found in the, in the dictionary, a copyright is, quote, the legal right granted to an author, composer, playwright, publisher, or distributor to exclusive publication, production, sale, or distribution of any literary, musical, dramatic, or artistic work. So as the photographer, you are considered an artist and you hold the copyright to any photographs you take unless you give those rights to a client as part of a contract for services, or if you shoot as some sort of quote unquote staff photographer. Okay, so what constitutes fair use of your photography? Well, fair use as explained from the university libraries is as follows. Fair use allows certain uses of copyrighted works without obtaining permission from the copyright owner. Fair use allows copying of copyrighted material in an educational setting, such as a teacher or a student using images in the classroom. Fair use is a flexible concept and can be open, open to interpretation in certain cases. A digital copy is considered on the same footing as a print copy for the purposes of fair use. In some cases, fair use rights can be subject to restrictions, license agreement, or donor agreement. Now, there are four factors to consider in fair use, and these are only guidelines. Number one, the purpose and character of your use. It is fair use to use an image for teaching in person and online and for research, scholarship, and study. It is fair use to display images to convey a scholarly argument or to convey information. The transformative factor. If you use images and create a new work by creating new aesthetics, new insights, and understandings, the law has considered it fair use. However, determining what is transformative and the degree of transformation can be extremely challenging. Number two. The nature of the copyrighted work. Many images are creative in nature, but it is still fair use to use them in an educational setting. Three, the amount and sustainability of the portion taken. 
Users typically need to use entire images to make their point, but it is still fair use to use them in an educational setting. Four, the effect of fair use upon the potential market. Users displaying images usually do not decrease the value of the images. So now that you have the definition of a copyright and fair use law guidelines, let's look at some stories from Petapixel that pertain to these kinds of legal cases. So the first story I have is titled Court Rules Copying Photos Found on Internet is Internet is Fair Use. Now, this is from July 2nd, 2018, written by Michael Zhang. A Virginia federal court has made a decision that photographers won't be happy to hear. The court ruled that finding a photograph on the Internet and then using it without permission on a commercial website can be considered fair use. First, here's the backstory. The copyright battle started when photographer Russell Brammer found one of his long exposure photos of a Washington, D.C. neighborhood cropped and used by the website for the Northern Virginia Film Festival on a page titled, quote, Things to Do in the D.C. Area. Brammer then sent a cease and desist letter to Violet, uh, uh, Violent Hughes Productions, the company behind the festival, and it responded by immediately taking the photo down. Brammer then sued the company for copyright infringement, and it responded by claiming fair use. Now, in the United States, whether or not a use of copyrighted material without permission can be considered fair use under 17 U.S. Code 107 depends on four main factors that I talked about a moment ago. One, the purpose and character of the use, including whether it's transformative and commercial versus non-commercial. Two, the nature of the copyrighted work. Three, how much of the work is used. And four, how much the use affects the market and or value of the work. So after considering these four factors, District Judge Claude M. Hilton of the Eastern District of Virginia concluded that the festival's use of Brammer's photo fit the criteria for fair use. Now here's the court's opinion. The breakdown of what Hilton wrote about various criteria, and you can read the entire seven-page ruling and an accompanying link, which you can find in this story in the show notes. The use was transformative and non-commercial. The usage was apparently okay because it was used on a commercial website in a non-commercial way, and that it was informational rather than expressive. Quote, Violet, Violet Hughes' use of the photograph was transformative in function and purpose. While Brammer's purpose in capturing and publishing the photograph was promotional and expressive, Violet Hughes' purpose in using the photograph was informative to provide festival attendees with information regarding the local area. Furthermore, this use was non-commercial because the photo was not used to advertise a product or generate revenue. The use was in, quote, good faith. Now, the use was in good faith because the company found it online, didn't see that it was copyrighted, believed it was publicly available, and took it down immediately when asked. So, the judge ruled, uh, in his verdict, the judge said, quote, Violent Hughes' use of the photo was also in good faith. The record indicates that Mr. Miko, uh, Violent Hughes' owner, found the photo online and saw no indication that it was copyrighted. 
Mr. Miko attests that he thus believed the photo was publicly available. This good faith is further confirmed by the fact that as soon as Violet Hughes learned that the photograph may potentially be copyrighted, it removed the photo from its website. The use was of a factual nature. The court decided that Brammer's photo was more factual than creative. Quote, the photograph in question contained creative elements such as lighting and shutter speed choices, but was also a factual depiction of a real world location the Adams Morgan neighborhood in Washington, D.C. Violet Hughes used the photo purely for its factual content to provide festival attendees a depiction of the, a depiction of the Adams neighborhood. Uh, okay. The use was of a previously published photo. Apparently, the fact that the photo had previously been published online worked against Brammer. Quote, furthermore, the scope of fair use is broadened when a copyrighted work has been previously published. It is undisputed in the record that Brammer uh, previously published the photograph on several websites as early as 2012, and at least one of these publications did not include any indication that it was copyrighted. This prior publication and violent Hughes' use of the photo for its factual content favors a finding of fair use. The use was only a crop rather than the whole. It seems cropping and using only a portion of a photo is helpful for fair use, even though photographers regularly crop photos to create new photos that stand alone as works. Quote, it is relevant that Violet Hughes edited the photograph by cropping approximately half of the original photo from the version he used on its website. Violet Hughes used no more of the photo than was necessary to convey the photo's factual content and effectu uh, effectuate Violet Hughes' informational purpose. The court thus finds that this factor also weighs in favor of fair use. The use didn't hurt the potential market. The court doesn't think there's any evidence that Brammer was financially harmed by the photo's use. Quote, there is no evidence that Violet Hughes' use has had any adverse effect on the market for the photograph. Brammer attests that he has been compensated for the photo six times, including three physical print sales and three usage licenses. At least two of these sales occurred after Violet Hughes' alleged infringement began, demonstrating that Violet Hughes' use did not affect the market for the photo. Brammer further testified that he currently makes no effort to market the photo. Additionally, Violet Hughes' transformative and non-commercial use of the photo undercuts a finding of adverse effect on the photo's market. Violet Hughes did not sell copies of the photo or generate any revenue from it. There can be no legitimate argument that Violet Hughes has usurped the market by providing a market substitute for the photo, especially since Violet Hughes only used approximately half of the photo on its website. So it's fair use? Because each of the four fair use factors favors Violent Hughes, the court finds that Violent Hughes' use was a fair use and that there is no copyright infringement, Judge Hilton writes. Now for the reaction to the ruling. As you might expect, there is a strong disagreement with this court's ruling. Stephen Carlisle, the copyright officer of Novus Southeastern University, has written up a lengthy rebuttal of the opinion and writes that the ruling passed down on June 11, 2018, is one that, quote, has the potential to seriously erode the copyright protections afforded to photographers. Quote, the court ignores key components of the Copyright Act, disregards readily apparent facts, and once again totally botches the transformative use test, Carlisle writes. 
Attorney David Cloft of the law firm Foley Hogue has also written up a rebuttal titled No Virginia. You can't just copy stuff you find on the Internet, even if you don't notice the copyright notice. Quote, despite what you might have read, you cannot use just use photos you find on the Internet, even if you are generally unaware of their copyright status, the firm writes. Brammer is not a coupon for free photos for your website. So it definitely had turned into quite a heated discussion on copyright law and fair use. Now, there is a second story pertaining to this battle. So for part two, the story is titled, No, You Can't Use Any Internet Photo as Fair Use from the Appeals Court. And this is from April 26, 2019, also by Michael Zhang. In July of 2018, a Virginia federal court sparked an uproar among photographers by ruling that finding a photo on the internet and using it without permission on a commercial website can be fair use. Good news, an appeals court reversed the decision today in a big win for photographers and other creatives. The copyright battle started when photographer Russell Brammer found a cropped version of a photo he had captured in Washington, D.C. used on the website of the Northern Virginia Film Festival on a page of, quote, things to do in the D.C. area. After Brammer sued the festival's organizer, Violent Hughes Productions, for copyright infringement, the company responded by claiming fair use. In a decision that shocked observers, District Judge Claude M. Hilton of the Eastern District of Virginia ruled that it was fair use because he determined the use was transformative, non-commercial, in good faith, factual rather than creative, of a previously published work, only a crop and harmless to Brammer's potential market. Brammer appealed, and today the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit reversed the ruling and sent it back to the federal trial court. And you can read the full ruling at this article uh, in this story in the show notes. You can download the ruling as a PDF. It is 22 pages long. Quote, after examining the four fair use factors, we conclude that none weighs in favor of violent hues, writes Circuit Judge Diana Gribben Motts, who authored the the decision. Quote, considering these factors together, it is clear that the copying here fails the ultimate test of fair use. Violent Hughes' online display of Brammer's photo does not serve the interest of copyright law. Quote, we reach our conclusion with the recognition that the internet has made copying as easy as a few clicks of a button and that much of this copying serves copyright's objectives. Many social media platforms like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram are specifically designed for the participatory sharing or copying of content. We express no opinion as to whether such sharing constitutes fair use. We note, however, that Violet Hughes' use is not of this kind. Violet Hughes did not comment on the photo, promote the photo, remix the photo, or otherwise engage with the photo in a way that might stimulate new insights. What Violent Hughes did was publish a tourism guide for a commercial event and include the photo to make the end product more visually interesting. Such a use would not constitute fair use when done in print, and it does not constitute fair use on the Internet. So, just in case you were confused by the original ruling in 2018, no, you can't use a photo without permission simply because it was published on the Internet. 
quote, we are very pleased to see this decision overturning one of the most egregious fair use rulings that many of us who defend copyright can remember. NPPA General Counsel Mickey H. Ostricher tells Petapixel, I know I probably butchered your name, I'm sorry, quote, we hope that this will be seen as a clear message that it is much better and far cheaper to seek permission and license images than it is to steal them. Now for our next story, it's titled Court Overturns Fair Use Ruling After Site Used Photos Without Permission. Now this is from August 11th of this year by Matt Groku. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit has ruled in favor of photographer Elliot McGuckin, who brought a case against Pub Ocean Limited after they published photos of a lake that had formed in Death Valley without permission. The decision reversed the lower court's decision that granted summary judgment to Pub Ocean after the Central District of California concluded that the publisher was entitled to a fair use defense. Quote, the panel held that Pub Ocean could not invoke a fair use defense to McGuckin's copyright infringement claim, reads the court's summary. They went on to explain that there are four statutory factors that help eliminate or illuminate what kind of creativity merits protection from the ordinary strictures of copyright law. The first factor involves transformative use, which the court deemed that Pub Ocean's article was not because it had used the photos for exactly the purpose for which they were taken, to depict the lake. The second statutory factor is the nature of the copyrighted work, which also weighed against fair use as the photos are the creative product of the photographer's technical and artistic decisions. The third factor was also not found to be fair use because Pub Ocean used the entirety of McGuckin's works, not small amounts. The fourth and final factor also weighed against fair use because, quote, if carried out in a widespread and unrestricted fashion, Pub Ocean's conduct would destroy McGuckin's licensing market, said the court. Quote, because all four statutory factors pointed un- unambiguously in the same direction, the panel held that the district court erred in failing to grant partial summary judgment in favor of McGuckin on the fair use. McGuckin had shared the photos with multiple websites, including Petapixel, where he detailed his adventure to photograph an incredibly rare lake in Death Valley after heavy rains. However, Pub Ocean, which operated a number of websites, did not ask permission from the fine art photographer. Petapixel reached out to McGuckin for comment and received this from his representative, Scott Allen Burroughs, Esquire of Doniger Burroughs Law Firm. Quote, our artist, Dr. Elliot McGuckin, is pleased with the court's eloquent and thoughtful opinion, which luckily addressed the thorny issue of fair use in a way that both protects an artist's rights and encourages creativity. We are very much looking forward to trial. So definitely some interesting developments. And as you can see, this subject is an extremely sticky one, even when it goes to the courts. Next up from Petapixel, U.S. Copyright Office argues Warhol's use of Prince photo was not fair use. This is also from August 16th, 2022. The United States Copyright Office has submitted an opinion to the Supreme Court that argues Andy Warhol's use of Lynn Goldsmith's photo of Prince was not fair use, sharing sentiments with opinions sent by the set by the NPPA and ASMP. 
On March 29, 2021, the New York-based U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals found that the print series of artwork created by Warhol was not transformative enough and ruled that it violated photographer Lynn Goldsmith's copyright, overruling the original verdict. The Andy Warhol Foundation appealed that decision to the United States, to the United States Supreme Court. In March of 2022, the Supreme Court announced it planned to hear the Andy Warhol Foundation v. Goldsmith case in October. The ultimate ruling then would have a massive impact on the visual arts community with regard to fair use. Yesterday marked the last day the amicus briefs for the case could be submitted to the Supreme Court. As explained by the Cornell Law School, amicus briefs come from a person or group who is not a party to an action, but has a strong interest in the matter and will submit an argument that usually is intended to influence the court's decision. Sometimes final judgments will reference opinions that were sent to the court through an amicus brief. Submitting an amicus brief to the Supreme Court is far more involved than doing so for lower courts, and anyone who goes through the trouble of submitting one does so under the presumption that the court, or at very least, its clerks, will read it. There are many amicus briefs that have been submitted for this case, but two stand out as particularly important. The first one, submitted by Mickey Orstricher, and again, I apologize, Mickey, I probably butchered your name, and Alicia Calzada of the National Press Photographers Association, or NPPA. Thomas Madry of the American Society of Media Photographers, ASMP, and Stephen Doniger of Doniger Burroughs, PC, which sides with Goldsmith and argues that Warhol's use of her photo was not fair use and that the judgment of the lower court, which found in favor of Goldsmith, should be upheld. Quote, the fair use defense was never meant to give infringers a pass so long as they claim some new subjective meaning or message in their derivative use, regardless of how it is used, and neither this court's prior holdings nor common sense support that position. Rather, any purported new meaning of message is only relevant in the context of a qualitatively different purpose or use than that of the original, the NPPA and ASMP both argue. Quote, the role of the creative community in this country cannot be overstated. The depth and breadth of these cure, uh, creators surpass their collective output and contribute immeasurably to understanding of their world. Almost nothing in our lives is untouched by the professional creativity of photographers like Goldsmith and the many other skilled writers, sculptors, uh, painters, graphic designers, illustrators, musicians, screenwriters, poets, choreographers who act as both economic engine and a cultural touchstone in society. These individuals, many represented by Amici, are awaiting this case closely as their livelihoods depend on it. While the NPPA and ASMP's support is important, another amicus brief was submitted that is particularly notable, one from the United States Copyright Office. In it, the Copyright Office says that copyright matters, including those of fair use, are of particular importance to it and the U.S. government as a whole. Quote, the question presented implicates the expertise and responsibilities of other federal agencies and components as well. The United States, therefore, has a substantial interest in the court's disposition of this case, the amicus brief reads. Quote, copyright law encourages the creation and dissemination of expressive works by granting copyright holders exclusive rights to the fruits of their creative endeavors, 
while preserving breathing room for secondary uses. The fair use doctrine is an important element of this statutory balance. The Copyright Office takes the same stance as the NPPA and the ASMP, the judgment of the Court of Appeals that found in favor of Goldsmith should be affirmed. As mentioned, the Supreme Court will see many amicus briefs sent to them on cases, but when a U.S. government entity like the Copyright Office sends one, it is very likely that the Supreme Court will pay particular attention. As a result, the U.S. government's support of Goldsmith is hugely influential. The Supreme Court is asked to review many cases and only accepts a small number of them. The fact it agreed to hear this particular case mean that it means that it has something to say about it, but what that will be won't be clear until October. What is clear is that whatever the court decides will be extremely important for the interpretation of copyright law and fair use. And I'm going to take a break right here, and then I'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag. Hashtag Liam Photo Podcast. And now back to the show. And we're back. All right. So let's continue this episode on copyright and fair use. The next story Zillow only wants to be fined once for 2,700 copyright infringement violations. This is from August 16th, 2022, as well. Zillow, which was found to have violated real estate photography company VHT's copyright when it used thousands of photos without permission, is arguing the photos should be treated as a group and not individually. This particular case of Zillow versus Illinois-based VHT has been ongoing since 2015. VHT alleged that Zillow used thousands of its photos on the real estate platform without its permission. As reported by the Seattle Times, VHT said it served more than 75,000 real estate agents and claimed to have the nation's largest database of residential photographs. After eventually making it to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, the court eventually ruled in favor of both parties. On the one hand, it judged in favor of Zillow on the allegation of direct infringement, finding that VHT did not represent or not present substantial evidence that Zillow willfully infringed on the copyright of 22,109 non-displayed photos and 2,093 displayed but not searchable photos. But the court did uphold summary judgment in favor of VHT on a separate set of thousands of displayed searchable photos and that fair use did not resolve or absolve Zillow from liability because Zillow's tagging of the photos for searchable functionality was not a transformative fair use. The Ninth Circuit remanded consideration of an issue on wh of whether VHT's photos were part of a compilation or would be considered individual photos. Both parties cross-appealed, so the case didn't end there. 
In January, seven years after the case was originally filed, a federal judge ordered Zillow to pay $1.93 million for about 2,700 infringements on VHT's copyright, which was a ruling that was based on the photos being treated as individual infringements rather than as a group. At first, Zillow seemed to be satisfied with the ruling. Quote, we appreciate the court's ruling and believe it to be an overall favorable decision on the matter, Zillow spokesperson Viet Shelton said at the time. That sentiment didn't stick. Zillow appealed the ruling back to the Ninth Circuit, arguing that it should only have to pay a fine, one fine, one time for the whole set of photos instead of having to pay that fine 2,700 times. In an amicus brief, a document from a person or group who is not party to an action but has a strong interest in the matter and will submit an argument that usually is intended to influence a court's decision, filed by Mickey once again and Alicia Calzada of the National Press Photographers Association, NPPA, and Stephen Doniger of Doniger Burroughs, PC, the NPPA argues that photographers have independent value and that Zillow should be fined with that in mind. Quote, photographs are a unique kind of copyrightable work. They are frequently stored and or displayed as part of a compilation, yet each constitute fo- uh, constituent photograph generally has independent value unrelated to the compilation as a whole. In its prior consideration of this case, this court explained that neither the label of a registration nor the independent economic value test was determinative of whether whether constituent photographs in a compilation should be treated as separate work or a single work and remanded for the uh, district court to make a finding on that question by applying the statutory definition, the NPPA argues. Quote, on remand, the district court found that each photograph was properly treated as separate work, a finding that should be affirmed because Zillow's infringed the individual pictorial works, not the characteristics of the VHT of VHT's database. That made it eligible for registration as a compilation. The NPPA offers opinions like this because rulings in cases such as VHT Inc. versus Zillow Group Inc. have greater ramifications beyond this one case. Many corporations and individuals, in this case Zillow, will make arguments in court that only see the short-sighted win for themselves rather than the wider effect it will have after the fact. Court decisions are used to inform later decisions, so there is always more at play than what is being decided in individual cases. That is why in majorly important cases have submissions from industry experts, such as the Andy Warhol Foundation versus Goldsmith where even the U.S. Copyright Office submitted an opinion, and that is why the NPPA has issued an amicus brief in this particular case. And I have one last story to share with you on this subject, and then we'll wrap up this episode. Richard Prince selling other people's Instagram shots without permission for $100,000. Now, this is from May 21st, 2015, also by Michael Zhang. Artist Richard Prince is notorious in the art world for taking other people's work, appropriating them as his own with various changes, and then selling them for large amounts of dough. His latest endeavor is once again raising eyebrows. Prince is selling other people's Instagram photos for up to $100,000 each. In a gallery exhibition titled New Portraits, which ran at the 
uh, Gagosian Gallery in New York City from September through October 2014, Prince displayed 38 portraits featuring photos taken from his Instagram feeds, other people's images, and without permission. The large 48 by 65 inch works featured a screenshot of the photo as it appeared on Instagram and a short message posted by Prince himself as the last comment on each one. One of the project's photos was by and of a woman named Doe Deer, who didn't find out about the usage until a few days ago. Some new artworks were being exhibited and sold at the phrase Art Fair in New York City recently. The artwork was based on this photograph that was posted seven months ago. And of course, you can see the photograph in this article in the show notes. In a recent Instagram post, Deer writes that she never gave him permission, but she isn't planning on taking action over the usage. Oh, and apparently her photo was sold by Prince for a whopping $90,000. Quote, there's no reason for the reproduction to exist except to make Prince a little cash, Artnet wrote about the show last year. They note that some of the works were being sold for up to $100,000. The article's title, Richard Prince sucks. Prince also settled a multi-year copyright infringement legal battle with photographer Patrick Carew last year. Prince's usage of Carew's photo was determined to be copyright infringement back in 2011, but an appeals court overturned the ruling in 2013, calling the appropriation fair use. Prince himself has said that copyright is something that has never interested him, Quote, for most of my life, I owned a half stereo, so there was no point in suing me. But that's changed now, and it's interesting, he said back in 2011. His bank account likely has much larger figures these days, but he's still continuing to test the boundaries between copyright infringement and fair use at the annoyance of photographers around the world. So there you have it, quite a few stories on this subject. And as you can see from these stories and the court cases, the whole issue of copyright and fair use can be tricky to navigate. And your best bet is to get an attorney who specializes in copyright and fair use laws. As my listeners are aware, I've already had a couple of battles against companies that violated my copyright on one of my photographs. A Russian website used my lion image without permission, but did take it down, luckily for me, when I informed them that it was a copyright violation, as it would have been hard to fight being the company was located in Russia. The second violation of the same image turned out to not be a violation as Nat Geo had purchased the same lion photo from 500pics.com and 500pics had not informed me who the buyer was. In this case, once Nat Geo sent me proof of their purchase, I apologized to them and enjoyed knowing that I have been published by the world's largest wildlife publication. So to you, my audience, what are your thoughts on copyright and fair use? Do you still have more questions on this topic? If so, leave a comment in the Facebook group. And I'm also trying to get an actual copyright and fair use attorney to come on the show and talk about this subject in much more detail, but we'll see how that goes. Mm 
remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you're in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, that's going to wrap up episode 270 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcasts. I also wanted to remind you to stop by the Liam Photography YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel, watch the videos, like them, comment on them, share them out on social media and hit the little bell icon so you can be notified as new content drops. Also, don't forget about the current giveaway contest that is happening now. You'll find a link to enter the contest in today's episode's show notes. All right, that's going to wrap up this one. I will see you all again on Sunday.